Hi, I'm Martin Kostwick. I'm the CEO of Battery Mineral Resources Corp. We are a junior developing company in the battery mineral space. We are in the process of transforming our company from being a development stage company with multiple assets covering the, the, the different commodities that you would expect um, um, the investor to want to be exposed to if they want exposure to the global electrification trend. And um, we are in the process of transforming our company from a development company into a cash flowing entity. And we'd like to uh, introduce you to the company, our goals, our strategies, and I'm looking forward to speaking to you about that. Martin, thank you very much. What a great intro. Um, we've not met or spoken before, so I'm keen to hear the story. Um, I'm also quite liking the idea of transforming into a development company to a cash flowing company. That's rather unique in this uh, industry. Um, <laughs> but first of all, why don't, we, why don't we kick off uh, here a little bit um, about your background and where you've come from and your experiences relevant to what we're about to talk to you today. Well, I'm a mining engineer by trade. I, I grew up in the, in the business, my grandfather, my father, a lot of mining engineers in the family. I put myself through university uh, working at various mines across Canada um, and uh, you know, started my career working at the Gold Strike Mine for Barrick, which was an incredible experience. Gave me a, a very good grounding of, of various aspects of engineering operations and, and all the things that you would expect there. And moved on from there, working my way throughout the industry. Most recently, been in the junior side of things. I was uh, corporate uh, uh, operations VP for Lunagold, which is now Equinox, uh, working in Brazil for for quite a while. Um, most recently, I was uh, president and director of Kerr Mines, um, which is a uh, at the time that I I took the project on back in 2017, we had a former producing gold mine that we were looking to put back into production. The company is now called Sabre Gold, by the way. Um, great project, great company. Um, and I was, I was uh, not necessarily looking for another opportunity, but this opportunity came across uh, to my attention. And it really intrigued me that I could become um, not so much get out of gold, but getting a change from the gold industry, which I've been in for quite a while. Um, to, to enter into a marketplace that is truly, in my view, undeniable. And, and that really is this global electrification trend that's going on around the world where um, people are, are striving to have more things electrified. And, you know, we're looking at cars and, and all the things that are in the marketplace. And being a part of that trend um, for me is, is a new exciting venture because it truly is undeniable. It's everywhere. It's around us. So being a part of this company, which is a brand new company, by the way, we, uh, we became a publicly traded company back in March. We're trading on the TSX Venture and in the United States on the OTCQB. Um, being a brand new company, it is our goal to give our shareholders exposure to this global electrification trend that I'm talking about via our projects and the commodities that are within our projects. Okay, well, let's have, let's have a look at that, Mark, because we need to break it down. Because, yeah. um, right, you're 60 million market cap uh, company. I think the, yeah. I mean, the, 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 it's almost difficult when you when you get it, when you when you kick off, people get excited, share price rockets, and then it kind of 
comes off or goes sideways for a bit, right? Until they actually understand what, what it is that you, that you are. I think you're in the same position, right? Yes. Here's the thing when I, when I was looking through your marketing uh, material, it's like you've got five projects that you talk about, you know, copper, silver um, up in Canada, uh, sorry, cobalt silver in oh, Canada, wow. cobalt in Idaho, lith- lithium in Nevada, you've got copper down in Chile, uh, and you've got graphite over in South Korea. Um, there's a lot going on for a 60 million market cap company. So can you help me prioritize those and let me know what's important to you, please? Absolutely. You know, it was it was the vision of the sort of the backers of the company, um, the original shareholders that, that the company um, get into uh, someday the production of cobalt. And, and that is still a goal in, in the future. That was sort of the genesis of the company. Along the way, while we we're acquiring and, and exploring across Northern Ontario for cobalt, we acquired the projects you mentioned, the graphite, former producing graphite mines in South Korea, a very prospective drill ready um, cobalt target in Northern Idaho in a prolific production, past producing area of cobalt. Um, we have a very early stage uh, lithium project in, in Nevada, but more recently, um, it, it, we saw an opportunity to, um, to get away and, and to transform the company from a development company, which is what we were doing, developing those projects, and launch ourselves into being a cash flowing entity via the acquisition of the former producing copper mine that we acquired and closed the deal on back in May of last year, the Punataki mine in Chile. Um, so that, that truly is the genesis of our new vision for the company in transforming it from being a development company. So, so really that is our focus. Now we are exploring in Northern Ontario for cobalt right now. We're not necessarily doing anything with our other assets because our, our main focus, laser focus is to focus on the Punataki project, develop it appropriately. And our goal is to put it back into production and cash flowing. So what that does for us is it, it transforms the company um, brings us along that Lasan curve, uh, you know, and into the cash flowing stage of things, looking for that massive re-rating that we should be achieving. Then we turn around and we look at all of those other assets that you mentioned, the graphite, the cobalt in Northern Ontario, the cobalt in, in Idaho. Then we have the cash flow to start developing those projects. Because a lot of times I think you would see it's very common that junior miners that are developers might have one project that they're trying to put into production. And that's all they have is one asset. So when that asset gets into production and cash flowing, if they're lucky enough for that to happen, the next question people have is, what are you going to do next? And so I like to say, well, I already have a, a ready-made answer for that question. Um, don't get me wrong. We're focusing on Punataki, But the answer to that question is we have these other assets, which are in various stages of development. Um, to turn to and start funding with cash flow from the copper mine. Okay, so let's let's, let's go to Punataki, um, down in Chile first. Chile yeah. marketplace, slightly nervous about what's going on with announcements with, the, with regards to the elections and some of the announcements by, by some, of the, some of the candidates around their uh, taxation of pro- right. copper producers in Chile. So... That can't help in terms of your your narrative. So, what what, what do we need to know um, about how that's affecting your business or ability to operate in country? Yeah, thanks for bringing that up because that is that is a question that I get quite often, and and it's really I really have a, I think a good answer for that. Yes, there's a lot of 
um, there, there's a lot of doubt as to what might happen with this proposed mining royalty that they're working on, that they're introducing into their new constitution. Um, I think overall, people have to think that that um, copper is such a large part of the GDP of that country that they would they would rather not shoot themselves in the foot by overtaxing um, the main source of revenue for the country. But on the other hand, they are, you know, the feeling is that they're going to come out with some kind of a uh, royalty that would be along the lines, very small, along the lines of what other countries have. And, and we believe that's true. Um, we're seeing that that the, perhaps the candidates promise a lot of things at the beginning and then be, they become more moderated in their final decisions. But having said that, um, we're in a unique category of the mining industry in Chile and that we're in that sort of small to medium sized mining uh, company range. And um, uh, there's a, a, a large part of the segment of mining in Chile that is in with that range. Um, when they originally produced, uh, sorry, when they originally introduced the royalty, they said that anything below 12,000 tons of copper production would not be um, eligible for this royalty. Now they're talking about raising that elevate, that, uh, that Mendoza line up to about 50,000 tons. For us producing, you know, nine years of production at this mine historically produced between 20 and 25 million pounds of copper. To produce 25 million, we're right about at 11 to 12,000 tons. Um, so even if they don't raise the uh, Mendoza line above 12,000, we're still below that, uh, that uh, line for the taxes. So we, we feel very comfortable with that. Plus they're looking at raising that higher. Okay, so this, this is a restart situation uh, in Chile. So what, what altitude are we talking about? And, you know, in terms of things like water, in terms of EIA approved permits, where, where are you? So that's another great question. We, uh, the, it's all about, I think, where the mine is located. And because it's a brownfield site, the mine is located in the low-lying regions of Chile, very close to the coast, um, just south of the, of the town of La Serena which a lot of people are familiar with. This is all north of Santiago, by the way. And the, the entire area is uh, full of infrastructure, roads, power, water. There's a lot of uh, agricultural there, other industries. So it's quite populated, um, has all the services and infrastructure that you need. So, um, and because it's a brownfield site, as you can imagine, it's been operated for over nine years, as recently as April of 2020, we have the infrastructure that we need to get back into production, including water and power. And, um, and we also have, I believe, a good, strong social license. You know, the mine has been there as a fixture in the community for quite a while. People are very anxious for it to get back into production so they can go back to work. Um, they, they've got longstanding good relationships with the community there, and we look forward to fostering those same relationships and, and maybe even improving on them. Okay, so so just a, a, given this is going to be a cash generator for you, that's the idea right. to allow you to um, invest into some of the other projects in the portfolio. Let's understand that. Um, so in terms of permits, licenses, etc., you've got everything that you need? Yes. Um, again, pointing towards the brownfield nature of the mine, um, we, we have the permits we need to go into operations, but we are in the middle of... Um, modifying those existing permits, somewhat to take a little bit of the handcuffs off of the prior operators that they had to deal with. We're consolidating some permits, we're modifying others, and we believe that it, we're, we're putting ourselves on good footing for a nice, smooth transition into operations. 
But the, the difficulty with those things is the the, the, the timeline, right? And, and we're seeing this a lot around the world. It's taking a long time to get these things over the line. So can you tell us where you are in that process? How long ago were they were, were all of the license premises necessary submitted? And when, what's your expectation in terms of um, receiving the last one of those to be able to actually do a mine restart? Yeah, that's good. Well, we, we started with modifying all the existing permits, which were current. And um, again, uh, part of it is mod- um, consolidating some of the permits. We had various operating permits. We want to consolidate under one umbrella. We're looking to modify. One of the things that, that might be the, the, uh, criti- on the critical path in terms of returning to operations is modifying our tailings des- deposition permit so that we can transform the mine from a thickened tails, which is tr- traditional tailings deposition method, to the newer uh, dry stack tailings or filtered tailings, other people call it, um, which will greatly increase the life of our tailings uh, facility. Um, that permit is well underway. We see no, uh, no roadblocks at all. And we look to have that within the next couple of months. Now, having said that, we will start the mine back up um, under a thickened tails uh, scenario and then switch over to the filtered or dry stack tails about a year after operation. So this permit that we're waiting for in the next couple of months will be well in hand before we need it. Okay, so you can you can start the process of the mine restart, stack, yeah. stacking, and then you'll, what, re, restack presumably? With- so the, 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 the current operating mode, which is how it was operated for the last eight, nine years, is to produce a thickened tails into a tailings pond. Then you recycle the water and you bring it back. What we're going towards is what they call a dry stack tailing. So you use a filter press, you get almost all the water out of it, and you just simply stack the dry tails. Cool. Okay. And with regards to money, I know you did a five million convert recently. Um, where, where are you with cash and to enable you to actually, you know, get this thing into production? So we are we're in our in the development mode, and we, you know, want, at the time that we closed the deal in May. It took us about a month and we got we got going organizing plans and putting together budgets and we started developing the mine. We didn't rush right back into production. So we initiated a drill program, engineering programs to look at trade-offs and optimizations and the modifications of our permit. Since then, we've raised money um, uh, various times and we're currently sitting at about $3 million in cash. Now, um, we look to... Uh, you know, we looked that that we should be quite well funded until we get to that point where we bring in the actual project restart funding. Okay, and, and we're looking, you know, all of this, I guess the trigger for the, the project funding is, is mainly um, the technical report that we're coming out with uh, sometime in May, okay? Um, I'd, I'd like to think that I would have a very good view and, and possibly the funding in hand and ready to go by the time uh, the report is done, because of course we'll have a view of things along the way. Uh, but that really is the the the, uh, the the line that we look to making that production decision and bringing in that startup capital. Right. So obviously that yeah. will go some way to defining the economics. So, but what what do you know about the economics now, which will allow you to have conversations around funding, like now? Yeah. You know, we're fortunate that that we have a lot of. Um, um, operational history there, and we can we can point back back to actual operating data to give us an, a view of what the future will look like, and w- with a critical eye, of course. 
Um, so we have that advantage and we're using, you know, we're using that data for now. Um, we're looking at the, at, at what we're going to be doing in the future. And, and of course that technical report will, will be our real indicator of what things are going to look like. Right. So you, you won't be able to get the financing in place until that report comes out. Or if you do, it'll be subject to the, the, the sorts of numbers that you've been indicating to any, any funds. That's right. right. Okay. Okay. That's and what, what does that historic data tell you about the, the, in terms of the, in terms of the grade, in terms of the metallurgy, in terms of, you know, rec- recoveries more broadly? Yeah. So historically speaking, and, and again, when I say historically, that's essentially what we're looking at is, is, um, is um, repeating the history in terms of performance because the mine did very well. You know, it produced 20 to 25 million pounds of copper. The grade going to the mill was about 1.1-1.2% copper. Um, depending on uh, the various uh, ore bodies that were mined, sometimes we had gold credits uh, in that. There's a little bit of silver that comes with it. We're producing gold um, copper in a uh, copper concentrate and we're obviously marketing that concentrate. That, that's what was done in the past. That we're, that's what we're going to be doing. Um, so to get to that 20 to 25 million pound mark, we were producing, the mine was producing about 3,200 tons per day through its very capable mill. Okay. So, but, but just again, coming back to the, I'm trying to understand the, the numbers of what your expectation is around, um, you know, what that's going to, right. Well, let's, let's start with cap. Let's start with the capex. You're going to need to raise some, some, some capital. You're going to yeah, do some opex as well. And then maybe let's come, come back to the conversation about, you know, margins and, um, you know, the sustainability of that. So sure. what, what can you tell us about what the capex expectations, opex expectations? Yeah. So we have a pretty good view of, of uh, the capex, um, in order to put the mine back into production. And, um, the capex is really driven from, you know, the way I like, I like to look at it is there was two prior operators at this mine and one of them was Glencore and then they sold it to another operator called Zeana Mining, which eventually closed down uh, due to lack of cash, mostly because, um, because the market, uh, the copper market was in horrible shape. Um, they were in a declining copper market when they closed the mine down and the price was around $2 and 20 cents. Um, so when I, I look at the prior operators, our playbook going forward is, is actually very simple. It's, it's to do what they never did. Um, in the last couple of years that Glencore operated the mine, um, they, they knew that they were going to sell it. So they stopped putting money into mine development and drilling. Now, Zeana came along, bought the mine from Glencore, continued operating it, found themselves almost immediately with not enough working capital. They had to pay back the debt for the purchase, plus put money back in the mine um, in a declining copper market, which they didn't expect, I'm sure. So they had this, they uh, unfortunately couldn't put the capital back into the mine. So again, they neglected mine development and drilling. So when I look at our capital plan going forward, which by the way, is about 20 million, give or take, uh, depending on how much working capital we need, uh, the bulk of that is, is pointed towards uh, drilling and and also um, uh, mine development. Um, so it, it's it's kind of a simple playbook. Okay, so the, the, the relatively low um, cost of entry, um, sixty million market cap, twenty ish million uh, required. Because this is a, for getting into production, you think you're going to be able to get some debt component into this, or at least some some further structured finance into this. Yeah, Matt, we're, we're certainly looking at all forms of financing and, and um, certainly um, uh, we have various um, interests 
in providing debt for the project. Um, I'd, I'd like to look at um, probably a combination of debt and equity. Um, you know, the, the project can, uh, the project, we have a lot of options for bringing in debt. And, and of course, with a, with a keen eye of not putting too much debt onto the future cash flows of the company, then you start thinking, well, there's going to be an equity component. We want to be responsible. We want to, we want to put the appropriate amount of debt on the company um, that can be serviced uh, quite readily with the, with the future cash flows of the mine, um, because that is the most non-dilutive means in, in our view. Um, but there will be, I think, always uh, some portion of that will be in equity. And I think it's only appropriate, really. I, I think it would give people opportunity to come in while we're, while we're hitting our marks, while we're developing the company, while we're, um, we're getting closer to that, to that stage of cash flow, which is when we realize our largest re-rating. Right. Okay. And in terms of what's the payback on that? The payback's very quick. It's about a year. Okay. Yeah. Because it, so that gets into, uh, let's talk about the margins, I guess. Um, you know, historically, uh, the, the mine and, and of course, looking forward, we're looking at a, an all-in cost of about 220 230 So certainly at these prices, we're easily looking at a, at a $2 margin, $2 plus margin. Um, we're at 450 today. So um, those kind of margins on 20 to 25 million pounds is about 40 to 50 million in EBITDA a year. So uh, we're, we're going to have a very nice payback. Right. And that, that, that payback, at what point do you start measuring that? Because obviously there's a ramp up for these things and you've got to build sure. it and then there's a ramp up period. And so you'd expect to have this payback by the end of year two, presumably. That's right. Okay. Something like that. Okay. Um, which leaves you uh, a, a chunk of change to go and do other things with the rest of the portfolio. So again, you've got to get this, this out of the way. You got to get the, the what well, you got to get the financing in place for this and then, you know, get the revenue going. And then, and then what we, we move back to wh- which asset next? Well, I tell you what, we, we do have a nice portfolio of assets that we went through very briefly at the beginning of the, of our talk. And, um, and we have, you know, I think we have a lot of opportunity to bring value to the shareholders with every one of them. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a near-term cash flow type of a person. That's what I'm always thinking of. How can I bring value to the shareholders by bringing the company further cash in the future? And so I want to take the most developed of those, of those properties um, and, and, and start bringing them forward. You know, and that, that could be our Northern Ontario cobalt assets. We do have a nice uh, high-grade uh, uh, resource there, over one and a half percent cobalt, over a million pounds. That could be um, another way to bring value uh, would be to start developing our northern Idaho cobalt asset, which is a drill-ready target. It's it's on a very in a very pro- prolific former producing hit, uh, district, and it's right next to a mine that's going a property that's going into production. It's owned by Gervois, and um, they will be producing uh, this year, by late th- uh, this year, they'll be producing copper, gold, and cobalt uh, from, from that very deposit that we're next to. So, you know, it, 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 I think it'd be an easy win to drill a few holes and increase the value there. Now, having said that, we do have two former producing uh, graphite mines in South Korea. Great location, uh, great, great part of the world to be in, in terms of South Korea being a very large uh, consumer 
um, of graphite because they're one of the largest battery makers in the world. And those two mines used to feed that market. So we have every, every faith that um, we can appropriately develop those two properties or find someone to come in with us or even sell them. But we're looking for the best way to bring value to the shareholders there. So that really, you know, so that we do have a lot of options there. We don't have to spend any money or we can spend money. Um, but I got to tell you, one of the more intriguing things, and this is, this is recently, I just returned from a trip down to Chile. Um, they just opened the border uh, to expatriates just before Christmas. And I, I went down there, returned a couple of weeks ago. And uh, we spent a couple of days in Santiago uh, meeting some of the players in the industry down there different mining companies, various PE funds that are active in the area. And um, just on the corporate development side of things, what are we going to do with the cash at Punataki? There is a tremendous amount of opportunity in Chile right now for us to repeat this Punataki story. In fact, um, there's a certain segment of the mining industry down there that uh, it sort of flies below the, the radar of the majors because the mines are perhaps too small or the projects are too small for majors to be interested in. So that gives us an opportunity to go down there and, and have, have a good view of, of being competitive in terms of bringing other projects just like Punitaki into our portfolio. Okay, I appreciate, appreciate that answer. I thought you were going to keep me on Punitaki right from the start, which is in terms of uh, expansion uh, drilling and exploration drilling um, down there. And I guess that's going to be part of the message. Perhaps you want to address that now before I ask my yeah, next sure. question. No, I, I think, I think uh, there's probably a couple of things that, uh, two main things that, that potential investors or current investors are going to be looking for as we develop Punataki. First of all, they're going to want to see that we've got a nice mine life in front of us. They want to see that we, can, we, can, we have a clear pathway to continuing to increase that mine life, i.e. Uh, exploration prospects on our own claims, which we have a large amount of. Um, also uh, synergies in the region to bring um, to perhaps uh, acquire other properties. Um, and, and, you know, that, that truly is what people are looking for. Of course, after that, they want to see executing and getting into production and sustainable production. But those are the first two things they'll be looking for. Okay. And then with, with regards to, so and we've got to ask the obvious question with regards to cobalt in Idaho, you, you mentioned it in your PowerPoint, you mentioned it today, which is obviously Gervois sitting next door. So you, you spend a little bit of money, make that look pretty and hope they come along and, and buy you out. Is that the idea? That, that very well could be. I think anything, anything, the result of drilling that property will bring value to us. And it could be in a lot of different ways. You know, it's a drill-ready target, um, meaning that it has all the geophysics, the mapping, the sampling that you would expect for it to be a drill-ready target. So it's teed up. We have the permits. It's ready to drill. Okay. okay. I guess that'll be an interesting phone call with Bryce on that one. Um, okay. So so at, at 60 million, with a bunch of optionality and all the things that you're talking about today, share prices kind of come off the highs of 90, you know, earlier, well, middle of last year. That's right. People aren't quite getting the big story. Do you need to kind of strip it back and t tell a simpler story, less ambitious story? And, and if so, should we just be, with investors, we should just be looking at your, the, the chili component for now? Is that it? Uh, look, I think I've, obviously the value in the near term is Chile. And, and that's, that's what I've been trying to convey to the marketplace is that 
our true value right now for the investor, for the new investor, the, the existing investor, is, is that we are in this orphan period of the Lasan curve. You know, we, I think a lot of people refer to that because it's very well understood. And um, as we look to uh, continue hitting our marks and, and whatnot, um, we, can only, we can only realize more value going forward. And so that's why we're focusing fully on Punataki. Well, like, I think I think it's a bit more than the Lasan curve, which, which takes credit or, or, or blame for a lot of things. You're of, yeah. you're your company of a certain size, right? With with, right. with cash, cash constraints at, at the moment. So I think people are sort of equally delighted by the fact you're going to focus on a cash generative uh, project. That's good, and I'm I'm hearing and I'm understanding how you're gonna how you're gonna do that. But um, people would normally give you credit if you were you know much bigger company with with the um you know a large scale copper gold project i mean this thing is of a certain size it's small small but perfectly formed you know it will it will create cash for you but it's not a kind of uh, a a company maker per se it's it's a it's a it allows you to do other things which may allow you to grow the company i think that that, that that's, that's the slight uh i think Thing investors might be juggling with here. So you know, your, your message is, is what to that point? Well, my message is that we're wholly undervalued and, and we, have, we have every chance um, of, of becoming a cash flowing company because of our assets, because of the way we're developing them. Um, and and you know, a meaningful amount of cash for a company that's valued like ourselves. And, and, you know, it, it may not be the biggest project in the world, but it, it is a great platform to build a company from. Absolutely. Right. Okay. And I think that's, that's important. Like we've seen this model work in the past. I've seen it, you know, fall, fall over. And I think people are looking for you to take these baby steps and, and, and advancing it through to the point where one, you can say to the market, we've got this thing funded. And you can say to the market, we will be in production in, in uh, 12 months time. Right, so the, 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 that's that's quite important, and the focus is is appreciated and understood. Do you think you should be offloading some of these other assets sooner rather than later, though? No, I, I don't. We're we're not, you know, we're not really spending uh, a lot of attention. We we have this great portfolio of projects, and and they're not costing us very much at all to 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 maintain, because I think it's important that we keep them. Um, while we focus on Punataki, once we get Punataki cash flowing, then we turn around and we say, look, we have a portfolio of projects here. We have a pipeline of projects now. Let's figure out what we want to do with these things. Do we want to invest our own cash in them? Do we want to, do we want to JV them? Do we want to sell them? Um, and, and so once we're cash flowing, we just have a, a, a number of opportunities um, to, to make solid decisions on what to do with these assets. 